This episode of Lead to Win is brought to you by Michael Hyatt's Business Growth Webinar, How to Scale Your Business Revenue While Working Less. Find out more at lead2.win slash webinar. Hi, I'm Michael Hyatt. And I'm Megan Hyatt-Miller. And this is Lead to Win, our weekly podcast to help you win at work and succeed at life. And today we're going to talk about something that's very important for leadership, all leaders, in fact, but probably most leaders are terrified of doing what we're going to be talking about today, and that's public speaking. Yeah, you know, this is a real problem for a lot of people. In fact, this has been a huge problem for me personally. I've talked about it publicly, but as a leader, you cannot avoid public speaking. Maybe you're not a professional public speaker, and so you're thinking, maybe I'm safe. (laughs) You're not. Um, (laughs) Because you're going to have team meetings and presentations within your company or to your clients or prospective clients, even outside events. But most people feel really inadequate Mm -hmm. in this area and they feel underprepared. And so you're trying to do something that, you know, makes you feel uncomfortable and it's not in your skill set, but you have to do it and you have to do it in front of an audience. It just feels like a setup because it's so much pressure. It is. And it keeps a lot of people from excelling in their role as a leader because they let this fear keep them back. And I think you experienced that. We'll talk about that today. But today we're actually going to solve it for everybody listening to this with three actions you can take to finally conquer your fear of public speaking. In fact, this may grow to become something you actually enjoy, as it did for me. But before we get to that, Larry, Larry. welcome. Hey, Megan. Good Michael, to see you. How are you? Thank you. Great to be here. Sorry about this topic. Yeah, this is, uh, I think everybody that's had to do it has faced some level of fear. I know I certainly have. I was going to ask you yeah. if you did, because you used to be a pastor and you've done a lot of public speaking. And was it a big deal for you initially? Yeah. Uh, the first time I had to get up and speak before, uh, and it, you know, not in some class setting, but actually in front of a live audience, um, I wanted to throw up. I didn't, by by some by God's grace, but uh, yeah, it was rough. Uh, it was very hard to overcome. But as you said, I actually came to enjoy it. Yeah, it took a lot of time and experience, but I got there by being very intentional about it. I, I don't know about you. Maybe it's because I didn't speak as frequently as a pastor would. But it took me about three decades. And the first time I ever spoke was actually in a church, and I was on a summer missions program in Galveston, Texas. Mm. And the pastor let me know on a Wednesday that he was going to be away that next weekend. This is the guy I was assigned to. And he said, and oh, by the way, you're going to be preaching for me. And I was like, but, 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 but I've never spoken before publicly. And I mean, I was like terrified. I cannot, I cannot tell you how terrified I was. But he would hear nothing, you know, I guess because he was so accustomed to it. He would hear nothing of my, you know, protests about speaking. He was just saying, you know, you'll do fine. Don't worry about it. Well, I mean, I prepared night and day mm-hmm. right up until the moment that I, you know, got up and spoke. And I, I couldn't sleep. I was, my palms were sweaty. I was sweaty everywhere. <laughs> and I was, I was just, I had this like irrational fear of it. I thought I was going to throw up when I got up on stage, but I survived. But that was kind of my experience for a lot of the times that I spoke, literally for years, you know, I always had this almost, never quite, but almost debilitating fear of speaking. Well, Megan, you've been pretty open about your story in this regard, and you've really struggled with that too. 
It actually started when I was in high school. I had a friend who was giving a presentation and was so overcome with fear that she ran out of the room. And I just kind of remember empathizing with that. And it really stuck with me. It was kind of like a secondary drama or something. And in my mind, you know, from that point on, any kind of public speaking, you know, standing up in front of the glass to share anything was was terrible. And that really continued into my adult life. And my early 20s, I remember being in a small group at church, and we were reading aloud, you know, how you do that, you like read a book together or something, and you're supposed to each read a, a paragraph. And I literally could not do it. Like I could not breathe, started to hyperventilate, like I, it got to the point that it was truly debilitating. And so as I advanced in my career, I would always kind of say to myself, well, I can do that thing because it won't involve public speaking. Well, I can do that thing. I can go to that next level because I don't I don't think I'll have to speak. And I would always find creative ways to avoid it. But at a certain point, I couldn't avoid it anymore. And I mean, I really avoided it probably 10 years longer than I should have. But it came to a head a couple of summers ago when our team was planning a big event, the biggest event we had ever done. And they said, I came back from sabbatical and they said, um, hey, we want you to, to keynote at this. And at this point, I had not been public about it. You know, I was just trying to like fake it and hope nobody would notice that I was never up there. And and I was like, oh, okay. Uh, you know, and I just said yes. And inside I'm like dying, like this is a death sentence. And they said, now yeah, everybody's going to know. Now everybody's going to know. And they said, well, you know, there'll be like 850 people there. And I'm like, you have got to be kidding me. You're telling me that the first time that I'm going to speak publicly is in front of 850 people. And this was like <laughs> six weeks before the event. And I mean, it was truly the fight of my life. We actually have a whole episode of me talking about this, this journey that I've been on. We'll share some more of it later. But um, I ultimately made it through and it was actually a really great experience, but it was the most brutal six weeks of my life. And that episode of Lead to Win is called The Year of Facing Fear. We'll yeah. put a link in the show notes to that. You come at this from similar starting points, although Megan, your experience was a little more profound on the fear side. But Michael, you have now decades of speaking experience and are one of the most accomplished speakers I've known. So you bring uh, that whole perspective to uh, the equation as well. So I think today what we'll do is talk about this fear that everybody faces and have you each share your experience about that. And uh, some of I think is going to be the same, mm -hmm. but I think there's some differences in the way you have approached this. Well, every leader can overcome the fear of public speaking by conquering fear on three levels. And let's talk about level one, which is the fear of inadequacy. And by that, I mean this primal fear that I'm, I'm just not good enough to do this. This is kind of an existential mm -hmm. fear, a little bit like what you described, yeah. Megan. It's a kind very of, profound fear. It's kind of like um, an identity issue. You know, that I don't deserve to be on the stage, that somehow there's something about me that is just not enough. You know, that's for other people. I don't want to be seen in that way. It feels, uh, I feel exposed. I feel like I'll, I will be exposed by being on stage for being inadequate. You know, it's just this really kind of profound imposter syndrome fear that a lot of people have. And and by the way, if you're a leader and or you want to be a leader and this is a fear for you, I mean, we, we probably should have said this at the beginning, but, um, 
I mean, most people feel like this. Mm -hmm. Most people have this fear or have had this fear. And I think the lie that we tell ourselves as leaders is we're kind of facing this sense of inadequacy and our own identity is like, oh, it just must be me. And the fact that I'm afraid about it only confirms that I don't deserve to be up there. And that is such a lie because everybody feels like that. Jerry Seinfeld has this famous bit where he says, you know, most people would rather be dead than do public speaking. Yeah. And he says that means if you go to a funeral, you'd rather be in the box than giving the eulogy. <laughs> totally. <laughs> Probably true. <laughs> you know, I, I can remember back about seven years ago, uh, still having a fear of public speaking. And this was right after I launched out into this new business. And my dear friend, Ken Davis, had asked me to be a partner in his business, which was called the SCORE Conference. And basically what we did was we trained speakers. Except that I was being asked in that conference to speak in front of not only all of our students, but a room full of coaches. So we had about 20 coaches that worked with our students. So these were some of the most accomplished speakers in the world. They were speech coaches. Now, I've been speaking for about three decades, but I can remember being in Colorado and calling Gail on the phone the morning of, and I'd been up literally all night tossing and turning, worrying about whether I was enough, this this fear of inadequacy. What could I possibly have to say to these professional speech coaches? And and it was really hard. And so I, I would say even today, that still is very present to me. You know, I, I, I don't let it hold me back. And that was almost debilitating that morning. So I never have it quite to that extent for reasons we'll talk about here in a minute. But I never don't think of that. You know, I never go to a business accelerator coaching session or like next week I'm doing a major speech to about a thousand people. And I always think to myself, am I enough? Mm-hmm. You know, it crosses my mind. Now, what you do with that is the crucial thing. But having that thought is normal. So what do you do with that? Well, what I do is I stop focusing on myself. Because here's what happens if I'm not careful. I get all up in my head and I start thinking, am I enough? Is my content going to be insightful enough? Do I have anything to contribute? What will they think of me? What will they think about what I'm wearing? You know, you can get all up thinking about yourself, and that self-focus only exacerbates the natural anxiety that you're going to feel. So the thing that happened to me, and this shift radically impacted how I feel about public speaking, I stopped focusing on me and started focusing on the audience. You know, who are they? How did they show up today? What are their dreams? What are the obstacles they're facing? What are their fears? What are their concerns? If I can literally obsess about the audience, then I'm not obsessing about myself. I can't do both at the same time. So I start obsessing about the audience and how I can serve them. And that shifts everything for me. Well, Megan, when you received that invitation and you said yes... I actually would have thought of it at the time and that it was a sentence, not an invitation. A death march. (laughs) Well... How did you deal with that? You still had the fear. How did you move past it? Yeah. Well, like I said earlier, I mean, it was a six-week hand-to-hand combat battle in my own head. I really had to face lifelong fears. And I'm not exaggerating. I mean, this was – I don't think I can possibly overestimate how difficult it was. It began with verbalizing the fear which I had never done before. In fact, I was in Chicago. I was at my coaching program and I was coming home. This is probably two weeks after or a week after I had been asked to um, give the speech. And I was sitting in, uh, sitting at the gate, tired. You know, you know, when you're, you're tired, you just kind of, your defenses are down and you all of a sudden your emotions start to pop up. Well, 
all of a sudden I'm, I'm like in tears sitting at the gate, all dressed up from a business meeting, you know, surrounded by people. It was packed, you know, Chicago is. It was like a Thursday night. And I'm just sitting there crying. And I texted Michelle Kashat, my good friend who's a speech coach. And I said, Michelle, I have to give a speech and I am scared out of my mind. And it was the first time in my life that I had ever said it other than to my husband. So Joel knew, you know, this fear. We had talked about it a lot, but nobody else knew. Dad had never shared it with you. Uh, and literally no one. And she, I sent her this long message in tears, and she she responded something like, "Don't worry, I can help you." And I was like, "Okay, we have a track to run on." You know, I, I still thought I was going to die, but I thought at least I wouldn't die alone. <laughs> well, if you have this deep dread of getting up in front of an audience, Michael's advice is to stop thinking about yourself, thinking about the good you can do for other people, what they need, and who they are. And Megan says, face the fear. Say it out loud. Tell somebody. Uh, That's the first step to moving beyond it. Well, let's move to the second level of fear that people feel about public speaking. And this is the fear of failure. I think this is a more practical fear. I've not done this before. I'm not good at that. Uh, I don't like the sound of my own voice. I'm not sure I have the ability to put together a 20-minute presentation. This is more about the practice of speaking. Have you felt that? What I always think to myself, you know, this just crosses my mind. I don't indulge this. I'm going to tell you how to counteract it in a minute. But I always think I'm going to forget something important, you know, so that's an issue. So sometimes that causes me to create way more notes than I need, you know, in the actual speech. And the other thing I think is I'm not going to have enough content to fill the time. Now, not once in my entire history of speaking, probably now thousands of time, have I never filled the time. But also having said that, somebody said to me one time that, you know, nobody, nobody ever cares if a speech goes short. They only care if it goes long. So you get actually points if you're shorter. But still, that's just like an irrational fear. You know, I'm going to get up there and I'm going to forget something important or I'll start into a story and I'll forget the point I was making or whatever. But, you know, that doesn't really happen either. So what do you do to, to counteract that? I mean, I'm, I'm guessing you way over prepare. So you've got pages and pages and pages of notes. So you don't feel yeah. uh, like you're without ammunition. But beyond that, how, how do you overcome that? Ah, boy, I just don't know if I'm, I can really pull this off. Here's the key thing I do, and this is what I'd recommend to everybody else. You've got to connect with what's true because your mind creates these things that aren't true, you know? And so here's what I don't do. I don't like, you know, people say, well, you should imagine the audience naked. You know, no, that's just stupid. That, that doesn't work. And At least awkward. Work me. And awkward. <laughs> so I, first of all, I review what's true about me. You know, I know that I've got something of value to share. And... I know that I've done this before, and it's been a genuine help that I've survived, the audience has survived, they've been genuinely helped, and I believe that I've been called to do this. And beyond that, I actually have some truths that are in an Evernote note of affirmations. And it sounds maybe a little bit hokey or a little bit woo-woo, but it's not. These are things that are true. And so I literally repeat these things to myself before I take the stage. So I say, for example, I'm not here by accident. It's a fundamental belief. I'm not here by accident. God sent me to these people at exactly this time. 
Now I'm reciting to you word for word what I actually say to myself. I say, uh, that's because he has a purpose. Therefore, I have a purpose in being there. You know, so this is not about me. This is about a bigger story and a bigger purpose. I say, what I have to share today is vitally important. It matters to them, to their loved ones, and to all the people that will eventually impact. Then I say, those that hear this message will be changed forever. Years from now, they will look back on today and say, it all started here. Now, that's a little bit more aspirational than truth. You know, I hope that what I have to deliver is going to be one of those life-changing things that they look back on and, and think that about it. And then I say, and the, you know, I'm just a person of faith, and this is where I come down. I just said, through Christ, I can do all things. That happens to be a quote from a Bible verse. He has given me every resource I need to succeed. It's true. And then I say, I have the energy, the passion, and the message to make a huge impact now and for eternity. And then this is my last affirmation. I say, by God's grace, I am prepared. My heart is wide open. I will connect and see transformation. And when I go through that, it's almost a ritual now that I go through, then I feel like, okay, I'm ready. Now, there's one other thing that I do, and then as I play a short audio clip that Gail gave me to me years ago, where she literally is screaming into the microphone, Michael Hyatt, you freaking rock. <laughs> and then, so uh, then a Bon Jovi song comes on, and I, I literally play that. You know, every time before I speak, and I mean, it just lights me up, and I'm I'm ready. It's like it's like the rocket is lit. I'm ready to go. Michael Hyatt, you freaking rock! You know, the words have nothing positive oh, or good to say God. about the whole situation, but. That's so yeah, funny. Yeah, amazing. In my own experience, I actually did a similar version of this. When I was giving that big speech, I created kind of like a vision, really, but like an affirmation of how I wanted to feel and how I wanted to show up. And I had really never done anything like this before. My sister Mary gave me this recommendation. So I created like a three-page handwritten on yellow legal pad aspirational vision of, of what I wanted that process of preparation and ultimately delivery coming off of stage in vivid detail. I described that. And then um, for weeks, I read it out loud with a soundtrack from the Gladiator movie. I'm trying to remember what the track was. I don't remember off the top of my head, but I wanted to to like feel it in my body, what it would feel like to succeed. And it was really helpful for me, actually, because I didn't have a precedent for doing that in the way that I wanted to do it. This is where I think that we sometimes underestimate the power of music to evoke certain emotions and a certain mindset. And it can act as sort of a psychological trigger that can change our emotional state quicker than almost anything else. Well, athletes do this all the time. They do. You know, you see um, like Michael Phelps with his uh, his beats on, you know, and he's listening to music before he gets in the water or he did, you know, when he was competing and plenty of other athletes do the same thing. Well, Megan, you, you did more though than just get yourself fired up or to get a positive, uh, positive vibe going. You actually got some training for this. Yeah, I really tried to get all the help that I could get. I think I started from a place of I will do whatever it takes to conquer this fear. Honestly, the speech itself was a means to an end. I realized all of a sudden I was just sick and tired of having my life controlled by this fear. It was outdated. It really didn't match who I was in the present. It was it was kind of like a, you know, 20-year-old fear that was just 
um, something I had been dragging around. And so I was determined to conquer it. So I was, I was kind of like, okay, what can I do? So the first thing I did is I called, I started Googling, you know, like speech anxiety therapist. And I found this guy that um, didn't turn out to be super helpful, but he gave me some good advice. I think I had one session with him. It was kind of like a virtual thing. And one of the things that he said to me was, um, you know, when you feel anxiety come up in your body, first of all, you can't control that. You you can't will it away. And so when you, when it happens, you need to say to yourself, okay, just notice it and then go to work. You know, we'll, we'll deal with that later. You know, I'm I'm nervous right now. That's good to know. And I've got to go to work, you know, and and by going to work, it's giving the speech or practicing the speech. And I thought that was really good advice and it really helped me. The other thing I did is I went to my uh, doctor, my primary care doctor, and asked for anxiety medicine, which I got. I didn't end up using, but I absolutely had it with me. It was like my mm. my fail safe. Um, I had a speech coach that I mentioned earlier, Michelle Kashat, who um, was fantastic. She actually helped me prepare. So I practiced on my own. I practiced in front of her. Uh, Mandy Revicio on our team, on our content team, actually uh, wrote most of the content for me, and then I kind of refined it. So I had really everything from the psychological support that I needed to the content support I needed. I mean, I I just thought I need everything that I can possibly get to help me overcome this fear because if it kills me, I am getting on that stage. Even if it's a disaster, I will deliver that speech and come off of it. I I think this is a really important concept in trying anything you've never done before. Mm -hmm. Why do we think we have to go it alone? Right. You know, and for you, this was a, a, a sort of Mount Everest. It was. That you were attempting to climb and you would never think of climbing Mount Everest on your own. You know, you would make sure that you had a guide that had been to the top before, you know, that was the best you could find. You'd make sure that you were resourced with the right supplies, the right provisions, all that. And and yet when it comes to public speaking, part of the fear is that we feel so alone and feel so inadequate, you know, to speak to that level one fear. But here, I think we need to enlist the help of the best coaches that we can find. And it doesn't mean we have to pay for it. Although sometimes that could be the best thing we could do because look if you could overcome your fear of speaking what would that make possible well that's in what your i realized career? Yeah. it's worth the investment it, it was totally worth it because what does it cost you to let this fear control you right what have you missed out on what part of your potential is unrealized because you're letting this fear have more control of you than it should yeah. well i ran into a quote the other day that said self-reliance isn't a superpower it's a vice yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> kind of goes along with what you're saying, Michael. That's really true. Yeah, it can actually hamstring you if uh, if you go too far with it. I think Americans particularly have a problem with this because we're such individualists in our thinking. And I think that we need to think more about these big challenges as a team sport. And who can I get on my team to help make this you know easier for me so that I can do a better job? So just practically speaking, if you're thinking, you hear my story and you're thinking, well, I'd like to hire a speech coach. Uh, I don't think Michelle's doing much of that anymore. But the SCORE conference, S-C-O-R-R-E, that we mentioned earlier, is uh, still available. That's still something that you could take part of. We don't have any involvement with them anymore, any uh, vested interest in recommending that to you, except that it's absolutely the best training we know of. Totally. So take advantage of that. I'll put in my two cents on that. I went to that conference after more than 25 years of public speaking, and I wasn't sure how much I would learn because I'd been doing this a while. Oh boy, did it open my eyes to how to improve my speaking and writing. Yeah, so it was so true. a huge benefit. 
Well, level two is the fear of failure. This is the practical fear of just not being able to do this because you don't have the skill. Michael's advice is to stay centered on the truth, especially if you have some experience, that you have been successful and you can do this and you've proven it. Remember that and affirm it. And Megan says, get some help. (laughs) No reason you have to do this all by yourself. Hey, everybody. Mike Boyer here. A shout out this week goes to Clint Sanders, who left this five-star review on iTunes. He simply said, I can't get enough of the leadership lessons from this podcast. Thanks, Clint. We're glad you're loving the show. And we'd love to hear from you, too. If you haven't reviewed Lead to Win, would you take a moment and do that now? It takes just a minute, and it helps a great deal to keep the program visible for other leaders. Not sure how to leave a review? Just check the show notes at leadto.win. We also provide a complete transcript of today's show and a list of resources mentioned on the program. That's all at lead2.win. And now, back to the show. Let's move to level three in the fear of public speaking, which is the fear of the moment. And this is that moments before your introduction or before you have to walk out in front of the audience or even the morning of, and that kind of ranging from butterflies in the stomach to a paralyzing fear of just actually doing it. Mm -hmm. How do you cope with that? Well, Megan kind of mentioned this in the last point, but I want to elaborate on it. And that is, I acknowledge and accept a certain level of anxiety, and that's not a bad thing. You know, I think that, that the way God has made us is that whenever we do something important, we need to be on our best. And again, I said earlier about adrenaline, you know, flowing through us does give us that ability to focus. You know, everything else goes out of focus. We get extremely focused on what we're about to do. And, you know, you can look at this from a, uh, the way God designed his perspective, if that's your worldview, or this is a way we evolved, if that's your worldview. But it's, it's a kind of a superpower that, that humans have is to stay focused on one thing and let everything else kind of fade uh, out, of our, out of our line of sight. So I literally say to myself, when I begin to feel that anxiety, if my palms get a little sweaty or I feel my breathing getting short or whatever, you know, oh, this is how my body prepares itself for peak performance. So that's completely a reframe of something like, oh my God, I'm going to fail. And then you kind of go into that doom loop in your thinking and exacerbate the anxiety where it gets worse and worse and worse. And it can be debilitating and maybe even keep you from going on stage. Like you talked about your friend in high school that actually left the room that didn't follow through with the speech because she let that, you know, overcome her. So I just reframe it and I don't try to deny it. You know, here's what doesn't work. I'm not nervous. I'm not nervous. I'm not nervous. No, you just have to say, you know what? I'm anxious, and that's a good thing. You know, God forbid that I would ever step on a stage when I didn't feel some level of anxiety because I will not think as well, I will not be as focused, I will not be as in the moment as I am when I have a little bit of anxiety. The other thing I I like to do is think past the speech. So it was actually uh, my friend Joy Grobelby, who's also associated with the SCORE conference, who said to me, she, she used to say, because she used to uh, manage my speaking career, she would say to me, she said, well, just remember, by this time tomorrow, this will be a memory. Mm-hmm. You know, and to realize, that kind of got me th- in, 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 the, in the frame of mind that, hey, I'm going to get through this. And it's true. You know, like I've got two speeches to give this next week, literally. 
And I've got a little bit of anxiety because I've got a lot of rehearsal that I need to do to give those two speeches. Uh, I'm going to actually be speaking with my wife, Gail, at this one event. And we've only spoken publicly in my Sunday school class, never in front of a large audience. And so I have a little bit of anxiety around that. But one of the things I've been saying this week is, you know, by this time next week, it'll be in the books. It'll be over. And however we did is however we did. We'll probably do great, you know. So, yeah, think past the presentation. You know, uh, I used to think that to be successful speaking, you had to not be nervous, that that was the goal. You know, you got to be not anxious before you step on stage. And that if you were anxious, that was a really problematic indicator. And what I've learned now, like you said, is that you're probably going to feel some level of anxiety and, and there's a range. It can be excitement to, you know, significant anxiety, but that you can actually still perform even when you feel anxious. Yep. So those are not mutually exclusive. And that was a big insight for me. In fact, um, I've spoken a number of times since that initial speech and mostly gone really well. We had our focus. It's always gone really well. Thanks. I appreciate that. (laughs) We had our focus leader event um, a few months ago, and I gave two speeches on that day, which I had not done two in one day before. And the first one, I was surprised I felt nervous again. So all of a sudden, not nearly, I imagine I'll never feel nervous in the way that I did at that very first one. But I did feel nervous and I kind of had to make a choice in that moment. Okay, I feel nervous. I know I can get through this because my my previous fear, you know, talking about the fear of the moment, what I actually thought would happen is that I would get on stage and I would not be able to breathe and that I would lose control of my body. So That's pretty common too, I think. So not that I would throw up. I mean, I never really felt nauseated or anything like that, but that I would would almost be like choked. You know, or that I would just be humiliated because of like my body. Was like damaged. your mind goes blank. Yeah, I don't, no, not really about that. Collapse just or? I don't even know. It's totally irrational, right? Just, but really, it was about breathing. And I, I think what I've learned is if you get through that first few minutes while you feel nervous and you move around and and you just kind of try to slow it all down in your mind, eventually you settle in and it's okay. And even if it's not the best speech you've ever done, what you learn after you do a number of these is that you're going to get through it yeah. and you have another chance later, you know, to have it feel really natural, to feel like you're really who you want it to be. There's a whole range of it's okay, you know, everything from it's, it's okay enough. And that was my goal the first time was just to finish, you know, to it was just spectacular. And I know I changed people's lives, but I think if you can adjust a little bit in your thinking, it can really be helpful um, for you. So that was, uh, that was a big one for me. The other thing that I learned along the way, um, somebody said to me was, when you step on the stage, don't try to not be a speaker. In other words, what some people do is they step on stage and they try to get off as fast as they can. So maybe this doesn't show up if you're doing a keynote, because at that point, you're a speaker. But if you're giving a presentation at work, you know, maybe you need to make an announcement, maybe you need to present about a product to your team, um, something like that. And you basically try to be as uh, invisible as possible. You try to get it over with as quickly as possible, make as little eye contact as possible and get the heck out of there before anybody knows it happened. Well, that is a a recipe. You're really uh, affirming your anxiety, the fact that you don't deserve to be there. Instead, like walk in there and just settle in. I am speaking now. I am talking. I'm going to let it happen for whatever length of time, you know, needs to happen to, to present on what I need to present on. And that's a very different mindset. And I'm allowed to feel nervous while I'm doing it. Yes. Okay. I like that. You kind of have to own the moment. Yeah. If my you know? voice shakes, it's okay. If my breathing gets a little shallow, I can just slow it down, 
take a couple minutes and, you know, mm-hmm. get my breath while I'm talking. Like, it's all, if I flush, that's okay. I mean, I flush all the time. If I'm excited, if I'm nervous, it doesn't matter, you know, like that's just part of my fair-skinned, you know, way of being. And I've just had to make friends with adrenaline, with anxiety, instead of just trying to make all that stuff stop and have this kind of white-knuckled control of my body, just to realize like I'm a physical human person and all these things are going to happen and I can continue to perform regardless of what happens. You know, the truth is that no matter how well or how poorly a speaking engagement goes or a speaking opportunity, people are going to hear you and someone is going to benefit even if you don't think you did a very That's good really job. True. Your perception of how you did occasionally corresponds with reality. <laughs> it's so true. But not very often. Like I, I had to preach at my church a few weeks ago. And it, it's really weird at a church because, you know, at least in my church tradition, people are not going to clap at the end. They're going to give you no, you know, verbal affirmation. You know, I don't, I'm not in a church where people are saying amen out loud or keep preaching. I wish I was. But uh, so they're, like they're giving me nothing, right? And so Gail said to me on the way home, she said, well, how do you think it went? And I said, that sucked. I said, it was not my my best outing. I don't feel like I connected with anybody. And I was just kind of beat myself up. And she said, I thought it was great. Well, what else is she going to say? I mean, you know, I'm, I like I discount that because it's from my wife, right? I mean, I appreciate it, but I discount it. But then I got like an email a few days later from a guy. And I just got another email from him actually yesterday who said that was like a life-altering message. Wow. You know, because for for whatever reason, what I had to say intersected with where he was in his life, and if that's the only person I helped that day, yeah. was totally worth it. That's enough. And but but it completely reframed how I perceived that event. So don't let your perception, you know, don't don't take it too seriously. Well, today we've learned that any leader really can overcome their fear of public speaking by addressing that fear on three levels. First, the fear of inadequacy. Focus on the audience, not on yourself, and name the fear and face it with action. Next is the fear of failure. Center yourself on the truth you know about yourself and your message and get some help if you need it. There's coaching available. Third is the fear of the moment. Welcome a certain level of nervous excitement because it will aid you and take control of your mindset through some of the affirmations that we've talked about. So any final thoughts for our audience today? Well, I hope in hearing my story that you're encouraged. You know, I I don't think anybody could be more terrified than I was. I really felt like, I really feel like I had an Olympic level fear of public speaking. And I hope that gives hope to you. Um, I hope that you're encouraged that you can overcome your fear. I really think it starts with deciding that you're going to conquer this fear and being absolutely committed to it. And if you are, I promise you there's a way through and there are things that you're capable of that you have no idea about right now. My last encouragement would be to remember that any kind of speaking or presenting is a privilege. You're having the opportunity to influence other people, and that's a privilege. And so you have to be mindful of your language. And so I used to say things like, I have to speak at this event. No, it's a privilege. People would love to be in my shoes giving speeches. People would love to be in your shoes, whatever your level of influence is, you know, making that speech or making that presentation. And so I shifted that language from I have to, to I get to. I get to speak next week, twice. I'm so excited. But that language influences the way I think. 
So be mindful of your words. Your words in many ways determine how you're going to experience the event. Well, Michael and Megan, thank you for being uh, open and vulnerable today on this subject, because I know a lot of people feel that fear and may think that you don't. So it's encouraging to know that it can be overcome. Thank you. Yeah, and thank you, Larry. Thanks for guiding us through this. Thank you guys for joining us today. We'll see you right here next week. Until then, lead to win. This episode of Lead to Win is brought to you by Michael Hyatt's Business Growth Webinar, How to Scale Your Business Revenue While Working Less. Find out more at lead2.win slash webinar.